The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Why are there more and more near-death experience stories in print, on television, radio, and the Internet these days? What if the stories of our near-death experiences are meant to be ongoing parables sent from that plane to ours through the random messages of those who nearly die? Welcome to ND Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. We can talk about the meaning of near-death experiences, but the power of the event is conveyed in the telling of the story. With that in mind, today's show will be a reading of several NDE accounts from the files of IONS. The first one's titled, A Call of Life. In January of 1950, I was a 15-and-a-half-year-old boy. Somehow I contracted pneumonia, which in those days was virtually a sentence of death. However, I was treated with a new wonder drug, penicillin. But some days into my treatment in a large hospital in Cape Town, South Africa, one morning I felt a tingling in my knees that proceeded up my legs. It was a comfortable, warm sensation. Then I noticed a strange thing. The bright, sunny day I could see through the large windows had turned a beautiful, deep purple. There were little golden lights twinkling in that sky. I felt really warm and comfortable looking at that scene. And next, I remember feeling myself floating up toward the ceiling. Looking down, I saw myself still in bed, asleep, and very far away. It was as though I was much higher up. There was no sound at all, and it was a bit cool, although it was a midsummer's day, which in Cape Town means quite hot. Through the door in the ward, I saw my parents come running in, led by a white-coated doctor, and nurses began to bring the mobile screens around my bed. My mother took hold of my hand and held it to her face. She appeared to be crying, and my father was standing next to her. They stayed there a long time, eventually leaving very slowly and very stooped over. It's a scene that I can never forget. I'm 74 years of age now. It's as fresh as if it were yesterday. It was also very windy up where I was. Apparently, I woke up normally, and nothing was said to me about anything at all. In fact, I didn't remember anything either. It was only a few months later when I was cured and back home when my mother told me that they had received a telephone call from the hospital asking them to come immediately as I was nearing death. When they arrived, I had already passed on. By the time they had arrived back home, another telephone call from the hospital told them the amazing good news. That's all she told me. But then it all came back to me in a rush. I told her what had happened to me. I described what I saw, them coming into the ward, the mobile screens, and her holding my hand. She confirmed it all. But the story doesn't end there. In 1968, I was married. My wife had a miscarriage and was hemorrhaging badly. I took her to the hospital and left her there for a dilation and curatage. That evening, after the procedure, I went to visit her. After a few minutes, she told me that she had a warm pins and needles feeling in her legs. I told her that it's probably a crampy feeling after the procedure. Then she remarked on the lovely sunset with golden stars, but it was, in fact, evening. I couldn't see anything like she was describing and was a bit puzzled about it, 
But then she asked, what are you doing down there? All of a sudden, the horrible realization hit me. She was describing everything that I had experienced 18 years earlier. Was she about to die? I rushed for the doctor who pulled back the blankets. I was absolutely horrified to see she was lying in a bloodbath. She had no pulse. After a bit of a struggle, the doctor managed to insert an IV needle with saline drip into an already flat vein in her hand. Remarkably, she regained consciousness very quickly. Needless to say, she recovered perfectly well and was back home in a day or two. I knew perfectly well that if I hadn't gone to visit her that evening, she would surely have died. And now here's another one. I don't know how to really describe my experience. My mother was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2002, and two weeks later we took her to the emergency room because she was having trouble breathing. The last week of her life she spent in ICU where she had to be resuscitated on November 1st. My family decided to sign a do-not-resuscitate form. That Friday night things started to happen, and I could feel the presence of several people in the room. It scared me so badly that I spent the rest of the night standing up against the wall. Early that morning, her oxygen level dropped to almost nothing, and we were sure she was gone. But a short time later, she sort of came around. It was at that time she began telling me and my 17-year-old daughter that she had died. As she began telling us about the light and the people she'd seen, I could actually see those people. There were four, all relatives, but one of them was my dad, who had died in 1986, and, and him and my mother were divorced at the time. I could smell the flowers that they were standing in, and it looked like they were almost glowing. I've never felt that feeling, and I don't quite know how to describe it. I could feel them. She was very aware throughout that day of the experience and knew somehow that I had felt it too. She amazingly was able to talk and sit up in bed all day Sunday. By Monday morning, doctors moved her to a regular room and made her comfortable. She fell asleep that afternoon and never woke up again. And she died Wednesday evening. Each story that, with um, no no doubt, with all the similarities that exist, there are certain elements that are unique to almost every story. Here's one. <clears throat> the big event happened one night while we were visiting the Oregon coast. We had not planned to spend the night, but did at the last minute. The only available motel was an older place with horribly soft old mattresses. From what I can figure out, halfway through the night, while kind of curled up against the wall, I slipped out off the mattress and got wedged between the wall and the mattress. I then had an apnea attack with inability to move or breathe, which sent me into some sort of cardiac failure. This is all conjecture and only supported by the mild abnormality in my EKG over the past year since. Whether I coded is, uh, or not is really not at the heart of the issue or my experience. There are tons of debates regarding what really happens when you die by both medical and theological theorists worldwide. I can only relate what I experienced. I admit that even as I write, it sounds like science fiction. But I can sure, assure you that it happened, and I believe it to be real in every sense. Without trying to be overly dramatic, the next events were what I have found to be in subsequent studies a classic near-death experience. I did not see myself in bed, 
as the room was too dark, but I was blasted through an amazing tunnel. Plasma? Lights? Not sure. A brightness that brought me even closer to an unbelievable bright light. In what seemed like minutes, regular time does not seem to apply, I arrived in a place that was so overwhelmingly bright and swimming with fluid colors of the entire spectrum that I did not at first realize I was without my physical body. While I could see, or at least had a sense of vision, I could not see my hands. It was about this time that my experience was significantly different than others I have read. I realized what was happening, and I was not happy about it. Almost immediately, I started screaming in in a voice that I could hear in my head, but could not physically perceive. I thought, no effing way. No, I'm not finished yet. I still have young children. I have not seen my life uh, through yet. No, damn it. I continued with a stream of verbal abuse of anyone that was listening in a very profane language until I heard another voice say, okay, relax, it's not your time. I knew at that moment two very clear truths to be real. First, I was not going to die yet, or stay dead if I was. Second, there was a God and an afterlife beyond our life on Earth. Then things got strange, interesting, and terrifying. Unlike other NDE experiences I have read about, I did not see anyone or feel the presence of Jesus or Buddha or Allah, nor did I see a physical presence of any of my relatives that had passed before me, although I had a feeling that they were there with me. What I did see was a much brighter place, perhaps 30 to 50 feet away. Of course, I had no real clear understanding of depth ratio. that seemed almost to pull at my heart uh, to come closer. I was awash with a complete feeling of peace, calm, and contentment whenever I looked in the direction of this portal. And yet I knew that moving into the portal would certainly mean that I was not Uh, that I would not be able to return to my life on earth. Without speaking, and yet speaking and understanding what was spoken to me, a conversation ensued that changed my life. You are troubled, the voice said. You need to know the truth about your life is holding you back from living your life to the fullest. I agreed without speaking. You must understand the gift to be able to enjoy and treasure the gift that you have been given, the voice said. At this time, while the voice was neither clearly male nor female, I realized that does not make a lot of sense. I knew that the communication was coming from all that is, all that was, all that ever shall be. The voice was that of what I understood to be God. And yet, even then, while thinking this, it was evident that the entity knew what I was thinking and chastised me for doubting or trying to figure out its very existence. In order to understand that which you feel, you must understand to be happy. You must first know what you need to change in your life on earth, the voice said. In an instant, I was seeing my life in review. First of all, the wonderful feelings that love had brought joy into my life. I saw all the incredible events of my life when love, the most powerful positive force in existence, was most present in my life. Childhood memories, my first real loves, the births of my children, the first time I knew I loved my wife more than I loved myself. I saw anything and everything associated with love in my life, flying past my eyes and filling my heart with a joy that felt almost overwhelming in its scope. But then came the other side of my life. 
To my surprise, I was not subjected to all of the lying and deceit that I would expect to see from my youth or all of the sexual trysts and dalliances from my college days. What was presented to me was explained to be the times that I had hurt others to such a degree as to make them doubt their self-worth or their ability to love and be loved. Girls I had slammed and disrespected in my college days, people who admired me, who had admired me only to be disrespected or even worse, ignored when they reached out a hand in friendship. People that I could barely remember or hardly knew who had been harmed by my cutting sarcasm and smart-ass wit. Worst of all were the unkind comments and actions I had made to people I did not care about and love. Callous remarks or actions that at the time seemed inconsequential. My heart ached with each new revelation knowing that my actions seeming trite and inconsequential at the time had affected the outcome of so many lives. It was immediately evident to me that the healing power of unconditional love and respect could be so easily subverted with even a single act of deceit or abuse of trust. Like virginity, once you have crossed a line, it's never yours to take back. The changes are permanent. All you can do is ask for forgiveness and move on. It is that act of contrition, forgiveness, that heals the soul. I knew this because I was not presented with the acts that I had expected to see. I had not been presented with the memories of the acts that I knew were so bad. They required me to seek forgiveness from a higher power, even in my least repentant days of youth. The acts that were thrown into my face were those that seemed inconsequential and trivial, the thoughtless acts of impulse dismissed by my cocky, self-assured attitude that were not a big deal. They'll get over it. But even with this primary evidence in front of me, the only question that remained clearly in my head was, why? What does it all mean? What is this all about? And that, my friends, is where I made a mistake that almost ruined my life. Upon hearing the question, must you really know the answers to be able to enjoy your life on earth? I replied, yes. In the next instant, I was blasted with a force of knowledge so powerful and so completely overwhelming that the biblical phrase, God smote him, became completely relevant. In a blast of light and cognition, I was suddenly faced with all of the answers. The answers to life, the answers to death, the answers to science and theology, and all of the amazing intricacies of the interaction between what is, what was, and what always shall be. I was filled with an overwhelming wonder that was overridden by a sense of terror and inability to comprehend even the slightest nuance of this creation. And I was filled with a feeling of such unbelievable inadequacy as to reduce anything I thought or felt or believed before this time into a single point of nothingness. In the next instant, I felt the air scream from my lungs and I awoke terrified in the darkness, doubting anything that had happened. Yet, suddenly full of more intimate knowledge, innate knowledge, that I could ever truly conceive all pounded into my brain, each fragment of knowledge with a life of its own, seeking to rectify itself with the larger questions of scientific existence and theology. My wife awoke, asked what was wrong, terrified to speak of what I had just experienced, and more afraid of the reality that I had just died, I never doubted it from the second that I breathed life again. I chose immediately not to concern her as long as my heart seemed to beat and I felt no physical effects. 
I realize to this day that this was not only dangerous, but created a breach of faith in our love for one another. I just felt it the right thing to do at the time. Looking back, I, I wish I would have woken her, told her what had happened, and tried to help her understand. As it is, even today, she seems to resent the fact that I kept the experience a secret for a few months while I tried to work through what had happened to me. In the instant that I returned from my little trip to the other side, as I affectionately call it, I, I knew several things to be true. First, it was real. It happened. I knew this because of the onslaught of information that was coursing through my mind. Facts about things I had never studied or even had a remote interest in, such as physics, quantum mechanics, the balance between positive and negative energy, and the correlation between digital information, good and bad, in the world. Additionally, the societal conflicts between innate knowledge of what is right and mankind's equally innate need to qualify to quantify his life with organizational structure of what cannot be quantified, all in a blast of semi-cognition. Second, my life would not be complete until I made sense of it all. Third, the very fact that the questions existed was a complete verification of both my experience and the very existence of something beyond this life. And then I blew it. Consumed with the need to fit all the pieces together, I started a quest that would last almost two years. I read everything I could get my hands on, from Paul Davies and his theories of time and space to C.S. Lewis and his wonderful books that combine theology and the basics of relativity into a concept that is both science and God's word. The more I read and studied, the more I realized that mankind is only on the very edge of understanding creation. More important, not only was every theory, every religion, every concept ever devised to comprehend the big question entirely wrong, but that the same theories, concepts, and religions were entirely right. Just a small piece of the ultimate answer. For almost two years, I was rendered almost completely without any other purpose. While I understood that being a husband and a father was important, my quest to understand why actually kept me from fulfilling my roles. Instead, I tried to connect the dots, all of the dots. I was convinced that if I just connected the dots, it would all make sense and I could enjoy and treasure my life. If, if only, if only, if, if only. However, try to imagine connecting every grain of sand in the ocean or every visible star in the universe. This is what my quest for the ultimate knowledge entailed. The bits of information that I was able to connect made perfect sense and the big picture clear. Things like God, for lack of a better term, is actually an entity of energy without beginning or end made up of every bit of energy in the known universe and every dimension yet unknown. Who we are is not the body that manifests in this reality on earth, but the life force of energy that is one with all energy that is God. All religions are man-made in an effort to try and understand what cannot be understood. So we as humans feel that we are in some way in control of our destinies on earth, that we have the ability to decide between what is right and what is wrong and act accordingly. Prayer is real, not because you ask for God to change things, but because in a state of meditative prayer, especially with the power of others directing their energy on the same thought, you tap into the ultimate power of all that is to change the physical manifestation of things, people, outcomes, events here on earth.
Everything on Earth is created from the same subatomic particles, all with a connection to the same energy that is the cognitive knowledge of all that is, and that these particles can change with the determination of the energy that makes up everything. Everything exists in a continual balance between the light and the dark, good and evil, positive and negative, on and off, even being reduced to a kind of digital code of zeros and ones and constant flux and balance. The matter that we don't see is as important to this delicate illusion as the matter that we can see. On and on and on, until I thought I would go mad, trying to understand the gift I'd been given. It was killing me from within, muddying up the clear, cool waters of life in such a way as to render everything I did as being inconsequential and without meaning. Then I was saved by a child. One bright and sunny Saturday morning while sitting and reading a book about the correlation between time, space, and religion, my daughters, 11, 9, and 7 at the time, asked me if I would take them to the park. I snapped at them, telling them that I was busy and had things to do. Before I could think about it, they replied, It's okay. We still love you. We'll wait for you. I'm sure it was meant half in jest and half in taunt, their way of letting me know that the matter was not closed, and ultimately they would wait me out until I relented. However, as I looked at their smiling little faces, filled with genuine love and understanding for the gruff, impatient man before them, my heart melted. In that moment, their simple display of love for me stripped away any feelings of confusion or doubt about my role in this world. In that moment, my heart was so filled with real emotion and love, every cosmic lock turned, and I finally understood the real answer to life. The answers to everything were right there in front of me, embodied in the faith, love, and hope of a child. In that instant, I recalled the wonder of their births, each life the moment before me, living in a liquid environment like all early life forms in the sea, then finally entering our world and gasping for their first breath of our life here on Earth. How their lives were conceived by the life force of their mother and I, coming together in creation's most wonderful gift, the act of procreation. How every part of who they are is made up of the parts of millions before them to be a single unique creature that shares their gift with you to make your gift of life all the more valid and fulfilling. With the force of a moment that stops time like birth, death, and the overwhelming realization of true love for one another, for, for one another, I realized the folly of my quest for the answers. I realized that the love to everything good, everything that really mattered, truth, happiness, love, honesty, were all in the simplest phrase, with the faith of a child. For the next 13 years, I simply put the quest in a box while we raised our children, built a business, and got on with life. But reports in science, bits and pieces of new discoveries in quantum mechanics, dark matter, the field, as McTaggart calls it, and other revelations began to percolate with innate knowledge of what was correct and what was not. In the past year and a half, several close friends and relatives battled and lost their lives to cancer or accidents, and because of my experience, I found myself wanting to give comfort to the grieving. It was as if the box was waiting for me in some strange way. And since December of 2010, I have found myself spinning back into feelings, emotions, and knowledge that course through every particle in my being, 
with the movie I Am as a catalyst to begin talking about it openly, followed closely by reading McTaggart's books and watching several episodes of Through the Wormhole, Dealing with Life After Death, uh, Creation, Time and Space, and The Creator. I not only can't put the, ba- the box back on the shelf, but seem to have permanently lost the lid. I am compelled to begin what could only be described as a Sisyphus-like quest to try and bring religion and science together in some sort of common language that allows both sides to come together. My talents, being in broadcasting communications, will hopefully lead themselves to distilling some of these complex issues down to more palatable and understandable basics. At least, I am compelled to try. And so for me, the NDE experience lives on. Well, that is uh, one of the most uh, uh, remarkably in-depth NDE stories that we have in the files here at IANS. Uh, we have hundreds of stories, though, of the same uh, uh, quality and perceptive uh, uh, nature. And I, I think that um, we will devote many more sh- shows in the future to the reading of some of these stories from the files at uh, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Well, it looks like we're out of time for today. If you'd like to listen to this or any of our past programs, again, you'll find them archived at nderadio.org. For more information uh, on NDEs, uh, out-of-body experiences, and on the Association for Near-Death Studies itself, go to our website at iands.org. This is Lee Whitting. Thanks for listening.